Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being, just a, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David... Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Wait, there's more. 
And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, who hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And it came to pass in those days, there, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came round, came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Thank you, Jackie. Um, let's all sing Silent Night together.
and join us again with the first Noel. came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe, lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them.
Could you hold that for just a minute? I turn my mic on. Sorry, I'm new to this. One beer. So, do you want to add anything about what got us to this point? I know you shared a little bit about revival and awakening wonder. I just had like thoughts going through my mind. You know, what brings us to our feet? You know, in, in celebration and exaltation. You know, what makes us shout, "Amen"? That's right. You know what? But what brings us to our knees? What makes us cry out, oh, no, no, Lord, why? I mean, those are ways that God gets our attention. Um, he surprises us you know, through our health and through finances and issues with real relationships and our jobs. And, and when you get to that point where you want him, your experience, your encounter with Jesus to be something more than just emotional, um, more than just acknowledging the truth of, of who he is. Um, if, if you want it to be more than just a checklist, you know, okay, I read my Bible today, okay, I went to church, I did this. Uh, um, if you want this body to be more than just a, another social connection, how, how can we get there? How can we get there? That's what I was, those are the, the thoughts in my mind today. So while God's stirring that up in her, I'm a news junkie. Anyone else a news junkie? I mean, I can tell you almost everything that's happening. And uh, maybe that's a bad thing because then I see all the darkness. Let's be real here. And that's what I was thinking. You know, yes, I had a personally challenging year. Um, my family did. Um, yeah, I better stop there. Get some tears. It's okay. But, um, but the world had a dark year. I mean, as recently, I mean, shootings. The two worst mass shootings, what, in history? The, the church in Sutherland Springs a couple months ago in Las Vegas. Um, hurricanes. For, forget violence, the natural disasters of the world that, that impacted so many people. Four of the worst hurricanes. Four hit U.S. landfall. Like, it's a record. Never seen a year like that. Um, terrorism. I mean, it's every day. But, you know, we had the New York bike trail. We had the subway just, what, two weeks ago? And then you mentioned the polarization. I don't think I've ever seen the country so polarized. I mean, even to where someone lost their life just, what, 60 miles away from here in Charlottesville because of the polarization in this country. So how can, you know, yes, God is with us and, and God is light, but the world's dark. But isn't that when we need the light? That's kind of where I was coming from. That's where, that's where what was stirring merged. <laughs> it's like that's where we need the light the most, and that's what brings the awakening of wonder and the awakening to share others that wonder, with others that wonder that brings revival. Um, so I'm a, I'm a lover of uh, used bookstores, and uh, I love old books, and I think it's because I feel like the person who wrote this book is talking right through it, whatever book I'm talking about, because it's what they wrote down, so it's their mind. So I'm just looking for things, and one day I picked up this book from 1933, called The Christmas Companion, just for fun, because I'm always like looking for some fresh inspiration on Christmas Eve. And I came across, I don't know the date this was written, but the book is 1933, because it's, it's, a, it's a compilation of, of poems and articles and things. I came across this written by the Dean of St. Paul's called The Message of Christmas. Um, the Dean of St. Paul's is, um, I'm sorry, it was 1939, not 1933. He held the office, the, the, the writer of this, the Reverend W.R. Matthews, held the office for 33 years of the Dean of St. Paul's. And that's part of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, which is part of the Order of the British Empire, just to give you some perspective. In 1939, not many of us were here then, maybe a few, but it was a rough year. I mean, my dad would have been five. It was a rough year. We were on the cusp of what? World War II. So this guy's in... London, the British Empire, and Germany is invading all kinds of countries, you know, and Hitler's on the rise, and just to set the page, 2017 wasn't the only terrible year, and yet God has been faithful, and God has always been there. So here's some of the words, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this just jumped off the page to me when I read it, um, how he concludes this essay. 
We cannot deny that this faith of ours has to be kept alive in evil times. I mean, I felt like he was writing this for today, and this is 77 years ago. We live under a darkening sky, and it would be mere folly to pretend that we have much ground for immediate optimism. Anybody agree? Like, in the natural? It is only too obvious that the nations and their leaders have learned very little from the dreadful experiences of World War. Obviously referring back to World War I. The path of progress is so shadowed that no one can confidently say he knows where it lies. In times such as these, when hopes are dying, there is great temptation to withdraw from the conflict and just wash our hands of responsibility. If we have no faith in God, we may take Voltaire's advice and cultivate our private gardens. We may allow the world to go on its own foolish way without our assistance and gain such quiet and satisfaction as life can give. But even if we have faith in God, we may fall victims to the same kind of temptation. We may try to lay hold on eternal life for ourselves and be content with the peace within while the world outside tears itself to tatters. But the Christian faith would not allow either of these retreats from conflict. The love of God was manifested, God with us, not in some quiet and retired mystic, but in Jesus Christ, who was born to suffer and struggle to the end. He did not renounce the world but took all its evil and pain into his soul that he might redeem it. So now and always the love of God is manifested through persons who do not turn away from the turmoil, who are not daunted by the dark, who increasingly strive to overcome evil with good. We who have the Christian faith and believe that something came to pass at Bethlehem of eternal meaning and moment can never take short views or be overborne by the difficulties of our time. For the eternal is with us, and God establishes his own kingdom in his own time. The day spring from on high has visited us, and soon or late, the morning star will lead us to the perfect day. Doesn't it sound like it was written today? So we've been here before, and God's been faithful. Um, I'm going to jump back in history a little bit. Not like I've already done that, right? 1939. I'm going to go back a little further. I told you we've been here before. Um, we're about to hear some words from a great man of God used in the 19th century. While you won't hear this, listen to the news. We all know that our fundamental challenge is not political, it's not social, it's spiritual, as we've been leading up to. Pastor, you touched on that last week with the armor of God. I mean, we war not against flesh and blood, right? We know that. We can also benefit from, I think, from pulling out things that people have written in the past who've, who've gone that road before us, who we can look at that landscape. One of those people is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I was inspired to look into Spurgeon because she's talking about revival and God's stirring her about revival. And his legacy is that. He was 19 years old when he started out at a fledgling and unhealthy New Park Street Church in April 1854. You know what's happening in the mid-50s and 1800s, right? It's a different war. That's within, within 10 months of him taking that over at 19 years old, a fledgling church. He, the church kept growing and growing until it was too big for that building. It was there that Spurgeon, uh, I'm sorry, and then it moved again to Surrey Gardens Music Hall. There, Spurgeon, Spurgeon preached to more than 9,000 men and women each Sunday, ultimately addressing a record crowd of more than 23,000. And that was in the famous Crystal Palace in 1857. So we thought it timely to hear a few words on the very message he preached on Christmas Eve, December 24, 1854, exactly 163 years ago today. As you listen, keep in mind, as I reference, this was a troubled year, one that witnessed many tensions between those who were for slavery, those who were against slavery, ultimately leading up to the Civil War. Hear now Spurgeon's words. Oh, may God teach you the meaning of that name, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel. It is wisdom's mystery, God with us. 
sages look at it and wonder. Angels desire to see it. The plumb line of reason cannot reach halfway into its depths. The eagle wings of science cannot fly so high, and the piercing eye of the vulture of research cannot see it. God with us. It is hell's terror. Satan trembles at the sound of it. His legions fly apace. The black-winged dragon of the pit quails before it. Let Satan come to you suddenly and do you but whisper the word, God with us, and back he falls, confounded and confused. Satan trembles when he hears that name. God with us. It is the laborer's strength. How could he preach the gospel? How could he bend his knees in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor acknowledge his master? How could men labor if that one word were taken away? God with us is the sufferer's comfort is the balm of his woe, is the alleviation of his misery, is the sleep that God gives to his beloved, is the rest after exertion and toil. God with us is eternity's sonnet, is heaven's hallelujah, is the shout of the glorified, is the song of the redeemed, is the chorus of angels, and is the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us. sounds pretty sure of himself, doesn't he? Pretty confident that God's with us, even in a dark time. So even on the cusp of war, um, I don't think he had any doubt. I love hearing words that were spoken that long ago that can resonate today. So I was, I was going to say that I love the, not only the thought that God is with that God is with us, but He's for us. He's in us and working through us to accomplish. The, the things that he chooses and to make things better. But the very fact that he is with us, that is, that is amazing. I think that was one of the most brilliant things that God ever spoke of himself. <laughs> so I think that Christmas is a great time to always refocus every year. And, and no matter what kind of year we've had, to, to, again, refocus. But sometimes it just shows up too quickly on the calendar, Right. This year flew. And, um, but I think it's good that it shows up every single year because it's a brand new opportunity. It's like those new mercies every morning. But what happens when it does seem inconvenient? You're not ready for it. I'm in retail. Guys, I, I get it. I, until today, and I'm actually off today, which normally I'm not on Christmas Eve, I, I can't really breathe and sense. It's hard to focus. Um, but God, it's, it's not our timing. It's God's timing. Um, he's always with us, always when we need him the most in those dark times. So that's really the beauty, and that's really what should create our new wonder, that in the midst of the pain, the hard stuff, whether it's war, whether it's grief, God shows up. So I read another great piece this past week that I wanted to share just a piece of it because it kind of is on that thought too. It's written by Krish Kendia called God Turns Up in All the Wrong Places at Christmas. Um, It's an excerpt that reminds us that it wasn't such an easy Christmas that first year either. 
You know, we talked about the 1900s, we talked about the 1800s. Now we're going to go way back to the first Christmas. Emmanuel arrives in the midst of military occupation, poverty, and oppression. Despite 400 years of silence since the feeble return of God's people from a generation in exile, 600 years of almost continual occupation of Palestine, finally God declares himself present. It's like it's about time, right? Um, But God has not rejected his suffering people. God is not disassociated from those who are troubled. He stands with them in solidarity. Now, mind you, it's a strange kind of solidarity. This newborn sleeping on a straw in, in a shed. Despite his arrival being heralded by astronomical phenomena, angel choirs, for the most part, his birth and life will continue as it begun, marked by the fact that he's a stranger, unrecognized, unwelcomed as the son of God. So why does God choose to turn up in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, to a couple of nobodies, in the middle of a census, to a country in conflict? I mean, perfect storm, right? Here's the news. God deliberately planned to turn up at the wrong time in the wrong place. God is Emmanuel. God is present. God is with us. But God is also hidden, set apart, and unassuming. And I thought that went really well with what we were being stirred with um, over the last couple of weeks. So revival and, and awakening. How do those two words relate? Um, I, think, I think it's obvious. But if you use Google, which I like to do because it can be a good friend, I found a great blog um, where a writer expressed perfectly what was stirring from, from both um, things that we were getting. And, I mean, in the first paragraph, the word awaken and revival are together, actually in the same sentence. Um, it was such a confirmation about what we felt God had for you this morning that instead of creating something new, I just wanted to share that with you because it really expresses what we were feeling. So... This Christmas season, I've been flooded with new perspectives on the familiar Jesus birth narrative. In fact, one of the great dangers of Christmas is to stop listening to the traditional story because we think we figured it out in every angle. This approach illustrates a very serious spiritual condition that we must awaken to if we are going to see widespread, nation-shaking revival. We must be willing to embrace the movement of God even if we don't have a theological framework for it yet. I've stopped being content with Christmas as it's always been. Make no mistake, I still celebrate all the traditions and festivities. I enjoy holiday movie marathons where Home Alone and Elf don the Yuletide lineup. Uh, Christmas gifts, trees, parties, lights, I cherish all of it. I'm not one who thinks we need to throw the whole thing out, either because it's become overly contaminated by consumerism or because it has some kind of pagan roots. I don't care if it's the world system or some kind of Celtic history, uh, we have the ability to redeem December 25th to honor Jesus Christ. And, and no, I don't think he was literally born on that day, but I am not all against selecting it as a day to celebrate his glorious incarnation. Here's the problem, though. It's easy for spiritual people to pick on the consumer side of Christmas, claiming that we need to focus on the true reason for the season. It is true we do. Even in church circles, we've simply turned Christmas into a massive production with some spiritual trimmings here and there. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not against the production per se, but it should be supplemental to our primary priority, seeing Jesus exalted through the power of the Holy Spirit. I just know this looks very different from what we have always been used to with our Christmas cantatas, our choir programs, programs, productions, plays, pageants, and candlelight services. candlelight services. (laughs) Don't throw those things out, though unless they distract from people having genuine encounters with God during this glorious time. If there ever was a supernatural season where the eyes and ears of the nations were bent towards the Messiah, it's during Christmas time. We need to steward this great opportunity instead of giving people more reasons to be familiar with a spectacle. Um, As people come across our paths in everyday life or people flood into church sanctuaries on Christmas Eve... We need to remember who we offer them. We don't offer a show. We carry the spirit of the risen Christ, and he is truly the thrill of hope that brings a weary world to rejoice. So do you want to know what can quench the spirit's movement and kill revival even before it starts? Familiarity. Jesus Christ, the sovereign son of God, was unable to perform mighty miracles in his own hometown because familiarity. He was recognized as 
oh, he's the son of Joseph and Mary. The people were so familiar with him that at one level, and thus unwilling to embrace him at another. They were comfortable with Jesus being the carpenter who was following in his natural father's footsteps, but they were not so keen on him following in his true father's footsteps. This reality of Jesus being the son of God challenged people, uh, the people's present level of revelation, calling them to embrace a new perspective of Jesus, perhaps a more demanding perspective as the son of Joseph does, doesn't have the authority to demand allegiance. But the Son of God most certainly does. They were unwilling to see Jesus in this light and thus remained unhungry to experience his supernatural healing power. So are you receiving the same invitation this Christmas season? Could God be calling you to reconsider the familiar, even starting with the Christmas story? This much I know. When you receive an upgraded revelation about Jesus, your level of hunger increases. Why? You want to encounter the one you are being introduced to. Jesus was never meant to merely be known intellectually. He was meant to be known relationally and experientially. And the reason that we're not seeing widespread revival has nothing to do with the lack um, from God's end. This acknowledgement is not meant to incite shame, um, no means. But um, at the same time, it is a wake-up call to us. We need to forsake familiarity with Jesus. And be willing to journey into the depths. So for many of us, that means embracing a willingness to let our childhood, and in some cases childish, theology be challenged. Yeah, you hear that correctly. Just because we embrace a certain perspective on God doesn't mean it's scripturally founded. At the same time, what we believe about God may be absolutely correct and true. But many of us settle at one level of truth, unwilling to embrace some of the more uncomfortable facts about God that the Bible also clarifies. The one who saves, also heals, delivers, releases captives, performs miracles, raises the dead, demands lordship, and wants to flood the earth with his glory. Now, we may have a solid foundation in one area of God's nature, but there might be unexplored territories that, we are, uh, that are awaiting the hungry and the brave. And are you willing to take that journey? So none of this is a call to venture outside of established biblical parameters. We know that too well, okay? Got to say that. Far be it. Um, this is too great of an inheritance that Scripture claims is available that we are not fully walking in. This should not provoke shame but incite hunger, relentless hunger. When you consider the wise men, uh, their level of spiritual hunger, uh, it drove them out of the palace, through the desert, and, and ultimately to a feeding trough where the king of glory was laid. Um, surely that unique presentation of the king may have been actually offensive to their natural minds. These were men of nobility, and they voyaged from an atmosphere of wealth and opulence and royalty to behold Jesus in a manger. And yet they were seeing the king who was infinitely superior to any and every ruler who would walk the earth. So how did they respond? They embraced the move of God. They allowed heaven to adjust their theology correctly. Perhaps they had visions of wealth and riches, but when they stumbled upon the manger, the animals, the shepherds, and peasants, they had a choice to make. We have a choice to make as well. Do we embrace the move of God as is? Mess and all. Or do we dismiss it? Do we write it off because it doesn't fit what we think it should look like? After all, surely the great move of heaven to earth, um, God to mankind, it, it couldn't really look like this, could it? <laughs> the wise men's response should challenge all of us when it comes to embracing new depths of revelation and new expressions of God's movement. What their minds might not have been able to wrap around their hearts were able to respond to with worship. Remember, the king of glory came in a seemingly common manner. The wise men could have been detoured by this, but they were not. They looked past what they thought they knew and allowed heaven to adjust their thinking about the one lying in the manger. So what's the gift the Holy Spirit wants to give you this season? Upgraded revelation of Jesus that produces a greater experience with him. 
And how do you receive it? Break ties with familiarity. Be willing to embrace the move of God, even when it comes in unpredictable, uncomfortable, and inconvenient ways. So now as we move to the lighting of candles, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us see the Christmas story in a brand new way and to help us go deeper with him this coming year. As you can see, our, um, we're not lighting right now the Christ candle. It's already burning. God is already with us. Um, this candle represents our child king, our infant redeemer. The season, for those of you who know Advent and have done Advent in traditional churches, it's over. Advent is a season of waiting, anticipation, watching. This is the light of the world, Jesus, and the darkness cannot distinguish it. Jesus is born. Jesus has come. Jesus is our salvation. And because he is born, nothing will ever be the same. Before we light candles, though, let's recap the Christmas story. We're thinking new now. Here's a new and fresh way. And remember, the real reason for the season, the rest of the story, will be revealed. but they longed for him. They yearned for him. They waited for him on the edge of their seats, on the edge of where excitement and containment meet. They waited. Like a child watches out the window for their father to return from work, they waited. Like a groom stares at the double doors at the back of the church, they waited. And in their waiting, they had hope. Hope that was fully pledged to a God they had not seen. To a God who had promised a king. A king who would reign over the enemy, over Satan's tyranny. They waited. And so it was centuries of expectations with various combinations of differing schools of thought. Some people expecting a political king who would rise to the throne through the wars that he fought. While others expecting a priest who would restore peace through the penetration of the Pharisees' facade. Yet... A baby, 100% human, 100% God. And so the word became flesh and was here to dwell among us in his fullness, grace upon grace, Jesus. You see, through him and for him, all things were created and in him, all things are sustained. God had made himself known for the glory of his name. And this child would one day rise as king, but it would not be by the sword or an insurgent regime. It would be by his life, a life that would revolutionize everything the world knew. He would endure temptation and persecution all while staying true, humbly healing the broken, the sick and hurting too, ministering reconciliation, turning the old to new. A life that would be the very definition of what life really costs, saying, if you desire life, then your crown must be lost. And he would portray that with his own life as his father would pour out and exhaust and he would be obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. And so just 33 years after the day that he laid swaddled in the hay, he hung on a tree, suffocating, dying in our place, absorbing wrath that is rightly ours, but we could never bear the weight. And so he took that punishment and he put it in the grave and he died. And when I say that he died, what I mean is that he died. There's no breath. There's no heartbeat. There's no sign of life. You see, God is a God of justice, and the penalty for our sin equals death. That's what Christ did on the cross. And then, just three days later, in accordance with the scriptures, he was raised from the grave. And when I say that he was raised, what I mean is that he was raised. Lungs breathing, heart pumping, blood pulsing through his veins. The things that he promised were true. He is the risen Son of God, offering life to me and you, turning our 
carrying our home and by his blood we sing before his throne that Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain but he washed it white as snow so now we as his bride are the ones waiting like the saints that came before us we're anticipating he has shown us that this world is fading and he has caused our desire to be for him and so church stay ready keep your heart focused and your eyes steady worship him freely never forgetting his great love for you Emmanuel God with us God with us and coming again, that second advent, right? So let's stand for prayer and our candle lighting. As we bring the light to you, please pass it to your neighbor until it shines brightly. And let's be careful. It's real flame. Um, we're going to play a song while we do this, and I think it's, uh, as it helps us to focus on the light of the world. It's also a good time to be quiet before God. And, and if he's spoken to you anything this morning, take it to him. Um, if we have sins to confess, maybe you've never met this Jesus. Um, maybe you have healing you need or cares to cast upon him. Just let him know how much you love him. Or it's okay to just sing along with the song too. So let's reflect on how we can be part of bringing revival to ourselves, to our neighbor, to our world as we share the light. Uh, one moment. Sorry, Tina has something that she's led to share. I feel like this is for myself, and I feel like this is for the congregation to encourage you to sing. Some people don't feel like they have a voice to sing. Um, my dad was one of those people, and he was right. <laughs> he couldn't sing. He said he gave his talent all to his children. So, um, But he sang anyway. He rejoiced with all of his heart to the Lord. And as I got older... His untuned singing became precious to me. And as we're singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that is one of my favorite Christmas carols. And um, I'm the soprano of the team. If you hear the high notes, that's me. And I always thought, angel choirs, oh, to be one of them. How wonderful. They must sing glorious high notes. And... But during your teaching today, the Lord was like telling me, angels are no better than you. Actually, you choose to sing and glorify me. And that blesses his heart. And so the Bible also says that if we don't praise him, the rocks are going to cry out. I don't want a rock singing a high note for me. I want to sing the high note. So I just want to encourage all of you that... He loves your praise in, in your untuned note and your tuned note. So sing to his glory. You know, whether you're alone in the shower or together in a choir, it blesses him so much. Yes.
share the gift. You are the gift. Father, we're going to we come to you as love and light. We thank you for the light of the special star 2000 years ago. We thank you that the light still burns. Lead us now by your light that we just like those wise men may fall and worship you may follow to new life in you, filled with wonder. This morning as we celebrate your birth, the birth of grace, may your love be born anew in us. Help us to be bold and joyful, compelling us to share this light in life with others in 2018 and over this next week. As we now share in bringing your light to those around us this morning. Thank you. Can safely extinguish your candles. You have time for one more carol, right? Thank you. I like that. I was hoping for an answer. And as we sing this, what's happening? To me? Just <laughs> as we sing this, know that um, Jesus is the best gift that we've ever had. That we've always had. Um, and may you continue to, to take out the, 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 the joy and share the wonder of Jesus with other people this, this Christmas. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.